Welcome to the Smarter Healthcare Podcast, where we meet the brightest minds transforming healthcare, with your host, Kathy Susich. Welcome to episode 23 of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. Our guest is Allison Gage, Chief Engagement Officer at Mpulse Mobile. Allison is here to talk to us about patient engagement and how technology can play a larger role in improving relationships between healthcare organizations and their patients or customers. Here's our conversation. Hi, Allison. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Could you start by telling us about your background and how you came to your current role at Impulse Mobile? Yes, thank you, Kathy, for inviting me. So happy to be here. Um, so my background is uh, in startups, actually, and, and so I'll kind of talk a little bit about how I wound up at Impulse through this journey, but um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always just been very passionate about um, being in a small company and helping to grow something. So I started my career um, in venture capital on the entrepreneurial side as an investor first. And what I learned through that experience, it was also um, a, a sign of the times too, that when I was in venture capital, we were going through a really difficult time in the market. It was right after 9-11, um, the, uh, the um, internet boom and bust, when we used to call the internet an industry, right? So, um, you know, a lot of stocks didn't do well. And so we had companies in our portfolio that were not in great shape. So I spent a lot of my time helping these companies right-size their business model, um, you know, look at different opportunities to cut costs and get to profitability faster. And what I learned through that experience was I really enjoyed being in the thick of it and not just being an investor, but being a part of the building and growing process. And so I've spent the last 20 years on the operating side. This is actually my third uh, startup, uh, what we would call ground up startup. Up. So starting from nothing and then taking it all the way uh, through to an acquisition. So my very first one uh, was in the healthcare space. Uh, we were a, uh, a very early player in telehealth. So we focused on the um, senior market. So what we called aging services. And it was a technology that helped, uh, com- that helped um, caregivers understand activities of daily living and uh, through a smart sensor system, know when there are changes in a uh, person's behavior. And that's an early indicator of uh, a potential problem. So that company was acquired by GE Healthcare. Uh, My second company was in the online learning space called Sophia Learning. Uh, Sophia Learning was a, uh, and still is, an online um, supplemental tool for middle school, high school teachers um, and students. And it provided a pathway to um, college. So uh, better access to college through different learning opportunities. And now um, with the big no and impulse, I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of closed the loop, right? So the big no and impulse is a health engagement company focused on, and one of our products that we have is the big no, which is the learning aspect of this. Um, And so I kind of feel like we're learning online learning plus healthcare and it's kind of full circle. So that's how I ended up in uh, the healthcare space. Again, we were acquired by Impulse at the beginning of this year. And so now I'm the chief engagement officer for Impulse Mobile. Great. So how does uh, the big no, how does the technology that you have through that company combine with or complement Impulse's? Well, that's what made our acquisition by Impulse so exciting was the uh, the complementarity of not only the technology, but the mission and the vision. 
And so our shared uh, mission and vision is reimagining health engagement. And when we say reimagining health engagement, it really is taking a look outside of healthcare, right? Health engagement is uh, not a very, uh, it's not a great experience right now across the, the, at the industry. And so as we think about what uh, reimagining health engagement is, it really is about treating consumers as they are consumers first. So they're not members first, they're not patients first, they're really consumers. And so our North Star is, you know, what people, what consumers expect from the world's biggest brands, they should be expecting from healthcare. And that's what we want to deliver. So we take inspiration from all the big um, consumer brands from Amazon and Target to new uh, health co healthcare companies like uh, applications like Noom, new platforms like a Peloton. Also, you know, what people are doing online, streaming video has won. So all of that allows us to kind of think about uh, health engagement differently. And so we take the tools that are available to us um, on our technology platform and use that in a way to move uh, people from feeling like they're a, it's a transactional relationship that they have with their provider or with, or with their health plan to one that's based on a relationship. And that's how consumers think about big brands today, the ones that they really interact with. They feel like they have a relationship you know, with that brand. So that's what we want our healthcare um, clients uh, to be able to present and represent to their consumers. Now, when you're talking about that relationship, you know, I think one criticism of technology has been that it takes away from some of that humanness of healthcare that we get through those, you know, personal face-to-face -face interactions. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? It's such a great question. You know, I think the big assumption in healthcare is face-to-face -face is better or uh, synchronicity is better. So we don't do a lot of face-to-face -face right now. There's a lot of Zoom, there's a lot of you know, um, phone calls, et cetera. Um, but you know, I would say if you, pull, if you surveyed consumers and their experience in a uh, clinic or in, on the phone with their healthcare provider, I wouldn't actually say they feel very human. <laughs> this is, the experience does not feel like they actually know us, right? And so humanness is about community and feeling like we're connected, like we're understood. And in many ways, technology enables more of that. So technology used in the right way, design with a human-centered design focus, it's really about removing the friction in our interactions and that, and then the, and allowing us to be seen and heard. Uh, and that's where that humanness comes from. It's, feel, it's a feeling like you have a connection in that relationship. Uh, with that provider or that, um, you know, that plan. And so that's a lot of what we do with technology is think about ways that we can um, use the data and our, um, our activation intelligence, all the tools that we have available through us through streaming education, uh, understanding where you are in your life and personalizing the experience so that you, our consumers feel like they're being heard. I like what you said there about technology removing the friction in healthcare. Um, now, I know that it's been harder to engage some types of patients, such as those from some minority groups, socioeconomic groups, or age groups. What are some of the challenges with patient engagement in those populations, and how are you addressing that? Yeah, that's such a, uh, such a great question, such a big question as well. And these populations have obviously very significant barriers and challenges, what we call social determinants of health challenges. 
And these challenges take a society to help solve. Um, it's more than just a provider or a plan or a company like Impulse, but where we can play, where we Impulse can really make a difference is in using our tailored and personalized conversational capabilities to unearth those specific barriers and challenges. And where appropriate, use behavioral science principles and techniques to encourage people to take the next best step. Now, oftentimes, one of those key barriers in this population is a lack of health education or what we call low health literacy. Right? In that case, the behavioral science techniques work in combination with our learning science to help close uh, knowledge and skill gaps. And that's actually why we created the big no in the first place. Um, we believe education in and of itself cannot drive behavior change. But conversely, you can't have behavior change without education. So that's such a critical component of addressing um, the challenges in this population. Another aspect to the education gap for this population is that they have they, the, the gaps are in a lot more than just the area of their physical health, right? So they may be dealing with um, low uh, literacy around their financial well-being. So they may be having other issues with their, uh, with their family or their uh, community. So there's so many different areas that affect your physical health. And that's why having a well-being framework is so important. Um, well-being is the notion that your physical health is connected with all the other elements of your life, right? There's a lot of science, for example, behind um, the correlation between financial health and your physical health, your emotional health, uh, mental health obviously affects how you can um, take care of yourself and your family. And so our, um, our framework of health literacy takes a well-being approach. So we just don't teach people about um, things around their physical health. It's how to have, um, how to manage your stress better, how to sleep better, how to have purpose in life, um, you know, how to, um, how to, how to manage your personal budget. So meeting people where they are is a huge area of opportunity to address some of these issues in this population so that it makes the topic of physical health a little more accessible. So another challenge that we commonly see in this population is um, lack of transportation or transportation barriers. So in that case, this is a great example of how tailored conversations are so important. And these tailored conversations are, are all automated, but they are uh, designed in a way with our natural language understanding to be able to unearth barriers. And if transportation, which is a very common barrier, comes up as an issue, that's a really insightful piece of information to have on that person. How else would, um, how else would we know that that was a barrier for this person? It's not typically on our, you know, medical records, right? And so, if we know that, then that next uh, dialogue that we have with that person can be very pointed in how uh, in, in in addressing that particular barrier. Uh, we can, for example, you know, provide resources that are available through our clients to help address transportation issues. So those are some of the ways that we are trying to be a part of this, the, the village that is necessary to solve these challenges. So I'm a healthcare consumer. Can you walk me through how I would engage with your platform? Like who do you work with as your clients and what would I see as the consumer? Yeah, so we work, uh, we work with um, a large ecosystem of healthcare companies. So from providers, health plans, um, to uh, pharmacies, as well as, um, you know, even dental <laughs> clinics. But in your particular question, I think I'll use the example of a health plan and um, how you as a consumer would uh, use Impulse Mobile is, 
you know, through the health plan, uh, we would get information about you and we're usually brought on to help solve a particular challenge. It could be, or a series of challenges, right? Uh, closing gaps in care, medication refills. Uh, in the very beginning, it could be, uh, you know, member onboarding and navigation. And so we would, um, we would communicate with you in your preferred channel, and either email, SMS, IVR even, and we start a dialogue with you um, so that we can better understand, you know, where you are and then personalize that uh, conversation as we're moving you through all those different areas that we're, uh, you know, that, that we're engaging with you on. And all of that is in the service of outcomes, right? So we want to help our clients uh, in this particular case, a health plan, uh, help, uh, help our clients get people to the uh, wellness checks that they're supposed to do, the screenings that they're supposed to do, refill the medications um, that uh, are really critical uh, to maintaining their condition. So, but that is hard because we get so many messages. We are so, and we're in, inundated with emails and text messages all the time. And so personalizing that communication and making you feel like you're being talked to as Kathy and that it's contextualized to your needs, to your barriers is a really important element to how we actually achieve those outcomes. That combined with our behavior science uh, techniques um, that move you through that journey to, uh, to you know, increase the likelihood that you'll actually do the thing that is gonna be the best um, for you in terms of a health outcome. And then we layer that in with the, the big no content, right? So if we, if uh, in that conversation, you say something like, well, I don't understand why I would need to get a colonoscopy. Um, I, I thought I had to be 50 and I'm only 45. Well, the latest recommendation is you know, to, get it, yeah, to get a colonoscopy or a colorectal cancer screening at 45. And so we would then deliver a very specific um, health education piece that's focused on why you should do this. Great. Now we hear a lot about the promise of AI in healthcare, but it also has lots of challenges. Do you think the healthcare system is ready to fully leverage the capabilities of AI? And where do you think that market is headed? Yeah, God, I wish so. <laughs> I would say not fully capable, but there's always hope, right? So um, I saw in the news this morning that Delta is getting ready to roll out this new face recognition technology that will streamline and make it so much more efficient and less time consuming to get yourself checked in and get on the plane. Everything is automated. So it's face recognition, biometrics. They have all your information in this. So you can go there instead of going to a ticket counter. Um, they recognize who you are. You don't need to show your ID or anything. Uh, you can print out your boarding pass, um, you know, get your, uh, get the luggage tags if you need to. And then when you get, go through and go straight through security, same thing when you're at the gate, you don't need to, you know, show, you don't need to um, show your boarding pass to the ticket agent. They already know you, you put your face in there. Oh, we know exactly where you're going. And so all of this is enabled because they have information about you. They have your name, your biometrics, right? They've got your um, your passport, your driver's license information. And if you are TSA pre, they have that um, information. And so that is in the healthcare world, PHI. It's personally identifiable information. It's okay to use it in that way, but it's so much harder to do that in healthcare. And so that's, I think, one of the, the challenges of AI is being able to fully access all of the information that's available 
through all the different ways that we engage with healthcare so that we can make it a frictionless experience and a more personalized experience in, in, um, you know, in, in, in the way that we see it happening in air transportation. So that's a long way of saying, you know, I hope so. I hope soon some of the challenges are, um, you know, um, regulatory, et cetera. But I do think whatever we do around AI, you know, the, the goal is always around three things, improving outcomes, enabling a better experience and reducing costs. And so, you know, we have to have a lot of conversations uh, with consumers and with our health organizations to be able to thoughtfully put together you know, ways that we can take advantage of the data that we have available to us to enable those three outcomes. Are there certain use cases that you think are better for AI right now? Well, I think the uh, more basic use cases would be better for AI, right? And so, you know, for example, doctor's office, you know, why couldn't you replicate that Delta check-in experience in your clinic, they already have all that information. They don't have to share it with a lot of, um, you know, with a lot of outside parties. And so I think, you know, having a very specific confined way to start and make people comfortable with sharing information and doing it that way can go a long way um, to, you know, hopefully allowing the rest of the ecosystem figure out the pipes that can connect all the different data so that we can continue to, you know, uh, continue to automate and use that data to help the companies that are serving consumers be smarter every time, um, every time they interact with you. And that's really truly the definition of AI, right? It's, it's learning with every single interaction that you have, we're learning something more to make the next experience better. Now looking towards the future, what areas of healthcare do you think will see the greatest impact from technology investments? I am so excited about virtual care. You know, like I said, my very first uh, startup that was acquired by GE Healthcare um, was in uh, technically in the telehealth space. So these were motion sensors that were put in um, people's homes and they were smart sensors that uh, learned people's activities of daily living, what were normal. And anytime they deviate from outside the norm, it would send an alert to a caregiver. Um, and back then it was considered so novel, right? Because you're in telehealth, it's like, well, who's gonna pay for it? And the government is not reimbursable by the government. Um, how do we get people to, to pay for this and to trust technology working in their home rather than, you know, than having a person there checking on a mom or dad or, or grandma. So now, you know, post, I would, I can't say post pandemic because we still are in it, but you know, uh, in the last 18 months or so, uh, through the pandemic, we've all become very comfortable with virtual care. And so all those um, notions of it's not as effective, people won't like it as much. That's all completely gone, right? We've, we've already blown through those, um, those beliefs. People do actually enjoy virtual care and some, some, probably many, prefer to do it that way. So I'm really excited about uh, the future of virtual care. And I think once it starts to become um, even more available today, a lot of providers are going more and more in that direction. A lot of the bigger companies are going more and more direction. So as there are more opportunities for virtual care to grow, not just in primary care uh, or urgent care, but you know, um, uh, dermatology, uh, mental health, et cetera, it's gonna create a whole new world of possibilities for disruption from innovative new devices to um, how we share information to new types of companies that will make the model more 
seamless and easy and less clunky. Um, and then you have companies jumping into this space, uh, consumer companies like Walmart and Amazon Care. So all of that is just going to be this really big soup of stuff that I think over the next you know, two or three years will create some really, really uh, great recipes for the consumer. Well, Allison, this was such a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Allison and Impulse Mobile, you can follow the company on Twitter at Impulse Mobile. You can follow me on Twitter at KSusich or at SmartHC Podcast. Feel free to get in touch with comments or guest suggestions. To listen to more episodes, visit our website at www.smarthcpodcast.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. I'd appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.